Hello everyone and welcome to Back of the Grid. My name is Chris and I'm here with Stu. Hello. And no Tom this week, unfortunately. So just a little little two-person fireside chat again for mm. the return of the Canadian Grand Prix. And it was so good to have it back. I've missed this circuit so much. Yeah, you, well, you're biased, but yeah, it was uh, <laughs> it was really, 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 really good race, wasn't it? Yeah, and it was like full house. Everyone there just seemed to be like massively hyped for it to be happening. Yeah, really 330,000 attendees this, uh, this that's weekend. It's a, a lot of people. It's so many people. It's it's crazy. I'd be. I'd, I think I'd have like anxiety of being around that many people. I suppose it's <laughs> over a weekend, but still, like it's hectic. How many people showed up to this one? Not yeah, it's a similar like to Silverstone, I guess. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. But Canada, like, I don't know. You just don't. It's surprising. I think I didn't know there were that many people in Canada. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> nice, real nice. Um, we're actually going to start off talking about something that happened between uh, Baku and Canada Um, and that is a new technical directive from the FIA to tackle the porpoising slash bouncing slash whatever you want to call it issue Um, I'll I'll try and cut the technicalities of it down to a simpler version as possible. Uh, Essentially the cars already have lots of accelerometers on them which is how they measure speed and g-forces and all sorts of things and they're going to be using those to collect data and therefore i've said before fp3 based on the data they've gathered in the other two practice sessions they're going to provide teams with what they determine to be acceptable levels i guess you'd say of uh, vertical acceleration in the cars Hmm. the teams then have to run uh, three race speed laps during FP3 without DRS, um, during which they have to demonstrate through the data we can run the car without hitting these, uh, going over these levels of vertical acceleration. Um, these once they've, yeah, once they've done that, they are not allowed to then run the cars um, with a different ride height, spring rate, damper setting, aero config for the rest of the weekend. So they can't like say, yeah, we can run with these these settings and then just completely change the car. Um, they have said under like, certain circumstances, they'll be able to appeal to the FIA to make changes, but essentially they'll lock in all of those settings. Wow, so the AT- Firme like, occurs after FP3. Like semi, yeah. this is like semi-Park Firme, isn't it? It's almost during FP3, isn't it? If like... yeah. Yeah, which is an interesting change. Yeah, I'm not um, sure. Carry on. Yeah, so then any team that can't prove that can run within these values um, then basically will be obliged to revert to the setup where they were closest to being within them and then the FIA will force them to raise the ride height by 10 millimeters. Um, initially, this is going to be from the Canadian Grand Prix, but given that the teams had to cart everything from... Baku to Montreal in the space of three days they gave them a sort of extra race um, gap which I think is sensible because it's the fact they do Baku and Montreal back to back is ludicrous in the first place. It's just bizarre isn't it? It's like literally it really like halfway around the world. Like absolutely yeah, crazy mad to send them. Um, so yeah so I have, I have thoughts on all this. It sounds like you do as well so I'll let you yeah. I'll let you open things up. Okay well <clears throat> the first thing is like 
I mean, it's basically it's quite a dramatic change to the rules because you 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 suddenly you've got yeah like as I just mentioned you got part Fermi occurring like sort of towards the end I guess of FP three or whenever whenever the team decides to commit to their hmm. ride height during FP three then that is effectively part Fermi for that part of thing so it it sort of it must have an effect on the rest of your setup between fp3 and quali like you it's kind of putting a stop to almost putting a stop to people going from fp3 into quali with different setups yeah essentially yeah um, which i don't know i don't, what are they going to do on sprint weekends because there's no fp3 on wow sprint. yeah i hadn't even thought of that have they even thought of that it does i've not read anything to indicate that they have thought of that so interesting um yeah like i th- i think in principle the fact that the FIA are stepping in to try and do something about this i do agree with i think you know we discussed this at length last week i think it was and i do think yeah it's right that they're stepping in to do something i think there's like i do have a couple of concerns like what you've just mentioned is very much one of them um it kind of the way this is worded Although although they're not doing the thing of like, oh, well, it's up to the teams, just run your cars higher. The fact that if teams can't hit these targets, the FIA force a ride height change is kind of presupposing that that will make it better, which I don't well, think is yeah. accurate. Uh, well, again, yeah, like I said it last week, but, you know, it, it's it's oversimplifying to state that the ride height is what dictates this it doesn't like yeah they're saying in the uh in the chat it doesn't work that way like it's it's down to suspension stiffness and Mm -hmm. the way that interacts with the aero so that they're intrinsically linked and just raising the ride height isn't isn't the solution it's about how it's about spring rates it's about damping rates it's about how the it's even about like i'm sure it's about anti-roll bars and stuff like that oh well the anti-roll systems in the cars i don't know exactly how that works in a formula one car but like definitely these things you know they're running the car so stiff that it's it's much it's not about ride height it's about it's about spring stiffness it's because the reason they're bouncing is because there's not enough they're basically bouncing on the air in the tire. They're not bouncing on because they're they're set up so 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 stiff that there's there's not enough movement in the suspension to allow the cars to go over bumps. <laughs> That's yeah. effectively what's going on. So, and you mentioned teams, the t- not all teams, but certain teams. You mentioned the tires as well. I mean, we've got the new tires this year, which have significantly less sidewall, and I'm sure exactly if they were still running on 13 inch wheels that would play a part in this whether positively or negatively like there's so it's such a complex issue um yeah. it would that be really that... interesting it'd be really interesting to see him go around on last year's wheels and see if it's yeah an actually issue those because they, they're basically <laughs> massive shock absorbers imagine if that was just the whole solution like oh actually sorry guys we revert into last year's tires yeah. imagine the outcry <laughs> yeah. there you go someone's put a gif in the uh thing in the chat now of a wheel like a, so just so the people who aren't involved in that know what I'm talking about it's a wheel rolling down a road and as the wheel goes over bumps it bounces up and down it's only slight but it bounces up and down right and that's effectively what all the F1 the entire 
body of the car is doing an F1 car because the suspension is rock solid on these cars yeah. and run as low as they want them to. So, yeah. Uh, um, so, And the other concern I have about this is that it's kind of all based around someone within the FIA. And I mean, that organisation is like a black box at the best of times. Someone will just come out with a value and just be like this is the value you have to hit and you know i'm sure people are already sticking their tinfoil hats on like you've got somebody supposedly impartially sitting and watching how all the cars perform through fp1 and 2 and then coming up with a number and where that number lands on the scale is going to have a huge effect on which teams are affecting negatively by it and which teams aren't. So as much as I don't, you know, I'm not about to sit here and suggest that there's going to be favoritism in that. Like they're opening themselves up to accusations of that yeah, and they're opening themselves time. up to teams having huge complaints about what numbers they do come up with. Yeah. I mean, you've opened my eyes here to something already really, really problematic with this idea. And that's the, the fact that it's going to be different depending on each, it's going to be different at each track. Surely yeah. like, the acceptable values of bounciness should be based on like medical research and yeah it's a weird one isn't it like tolerances for the human body that are acceptable across a season not across not just on one race weekend because if you keep changing them then you've got this set of shifting goalposts every race weekend that no one quite knows how they're supposed to set their car up yeah and they might just pull the rug from under everyone and say no that's too much bouncing you've all got to do it to this this threshold and you your spine doesn't care if it's in baku or silverstone or montreal or ever like it's still exactly subject to the same problems yeah and like there's been like talk of like it being frequency based so like I think it's 5 hertz or something that they're they're saying is like a bad rhythm for your body to be bouncing up and down on because a lot of your systems inside and I'm not a doctor but like from what I've I've seen on the internet and you know don't believe everything you read on the internet don't certainly don't believe everything (laughs) you listen to on this podcast but they the interesting thing that I saw was that they were saying that the the frequencies of this bouncing are similar frequency to the frequency that most people's systems in their bodies work at. So to have that bouncing up and down, bang, 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 up and down in the car and the brain moving around in the head and like all the mm-hmm. organs like shifting and wobbling and wibbling, bouncing up and down with the car at that frequency while they're trying to like, you know, have a heartbeat or like a <laughs> pulse or whatever, <laughs> then... It, it's it's just really, really bad for the body to have that level of shaking going on for it. So why is that going to be a different threshold at every race when that's like a yeah. finite thing, you know? like It's, it's really it's, odd. It's so strange. It just it really does open the door to all kinds of um, crap housery, doesn't it? Mm. Can I just say as well what a plot twist it would have been if 200 odd episodes into this podcast you were just like, so I'm a doctor and this is why this is a bad idea. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? I'm <laughs> certainly not a doctor. I mean, we all know that I'm not a doctor. If you've listened to this for any longer, then yeah, I don't think you need to be... Uh, you know, you listen to one episode and establish that I'm not a doctor. Yeah, none of us have any qualifications yeah. in what we're There's talking about. There's no way that guy is a doctor. <laughs> um, 
So we'll also add that the FIA have basically said this is like the initial steps they're taking, but they are going to be consulting with actual doctors and doing more studies to kind of try and stay on top of this and improve things. Um, the vast majority of drivers seem to have like praised this from the FIA, a lot of them saying that it's good that they're stepping in to make sure driver safety is put ahead of performance, which I think is yeah. something we can all agree on. Absolutely. Um, it's their job. Team- that's, that's their reason to exist, is to make sure that everyone's safe. Yeah, exactly. Uh, team principles, else. I think it's fair to say, have been split on on the whole thing. Yeah. Um, I've just plucked out a few choice quotes here. Um, Franz Tost said that uh, the drivers should just train more and they should go home if the cars are too stiff or difficult for them. <laughs> Thanks, Franz. Um, Christian Horn is sticking to the stance that it's a team problem to fix and shouldn't demand a mid-season rule change. Uh, he added this weekend that if the FIA think that um, cars are legitimately dangerous, then they should take a hard-line approach and start black-flagging cars that they think are dangerous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Toto Wolf, meanwhile, obviously continues to say that it's not just a thing they can switch on and off and just fix with ride height, um, and that it's not just a Mercedes problem. They're just, you know, the ones that get reported on the most. Um, a lot of people did raise eyebrows at how quickly Mercedes were able to make changes around this technical directive within about 24 hours of it coming out. <laughs> they were just like, oh, we we constantly bring in new parts and we happen to have some that helped, but it's a very Didn't, quick turnaround for Mercedes. Yeah. What did I say last week, Chris? What did I say? That they got something mm. in the works? You did, yes. You very much did. Mm. Kel's amazing. Yeah, and then Matteo Bonotto called the technical directive unacceptable. Uh, he said, technical directive is there to clarify regulations or to address policing. It's not there to change the regulations. That's a matter of governance. Which, to be fair, he's got a point with, I think. Um, yeah. Technical directives, for the most part, come down to be like, this is what we mean by this rule. It, like this, This is much closer to... Well, it is. It's a regulation change, isn't it, ultimately? It's a regulation change disguised yeah. as a technical directive. Yes, it's absolutely whatever whatever way you frame it, it's absolutely a technical check, technical a, a, a rule change. Yeah. Um, so there's there's a couple of different um, talking points there. So first of all, you've got like I guess there's a few different dynamics going on. So the first dynamic, the the sort of less interesting dynamic, I guess, is the team bosses. All, well, basically, most team bosses versus most drivers. So, you know, 19 yeah. drivers versus, what, however many team bosses. Um, and obviously, the drivers don't want the fillings shaken out of their teeth when they go racing mm. every weekend, which is quite understandable. And obviously, they're all concerned about their health. They don't want to worry. There's long-term health potential here that, that needs to be considered and yeah absolutely the the FIA are right to be on the driver's side and making sure that like the drivers are safe and they're not you know having impacts on their bodies when they don't necessarily need to be the more interesting dynamic is the it's the Toto versus Christian old dynamic isn't it it's the you know let's all fling mud it's the mud slinging again isn't it yeah and Bonotto is like sort of adding to the trifecta of that now there are reports of um, unsubstantiated reports, I should probably say, of um, mm-hmm. Toto Matea having a, 
a fairly strong falling out over all this in a team principals meeting over the weekend. Because, um, I mean, although Mercedes are, like, loudly wanting to do this because they obviously want to move forward, like, Ferrari have got the most to lose here. Like, although the Ferrari is performing well, it is still bouncing a lot. And, yeah, like, depending on how these uh, rule changes are sort of decided on, this could... At its worst, this could kill Ferrari's championship, honestly. Well, at its worst, it could kill a driver. That's, well, that's, that's, and that's, that's the, the thing, isn't it? It's worst, like, like... When, yeah, when you think of what the alternative is, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it could kill Ferrari's championship, but, it, you know, at the same time, Red Bull seem to be pretty loudly against this as well so it's obviously going to impact them too maybe more than anyone else which is why he's so against it because he knows as soon as he raises a ride out of that car it's not going to work anymore as soon as they mm. dial out the bounty and stiffen up their suspension it's not going to that car's not going to work so you know we've got Perez saying he had blurred vision you've got um, Haas drivers saying they were struggling with back issues pretty much every driver on the grid other than bar one has been and that that happens yeah. to be the one who understandably is the one who's leading the championship. Everyone's saying they need this needs to be addressed. And when the drivers, when the people who are sitting in the car are all saying this needs to be made better, I think for the team principal some of the team principals to sort of stand against that and and you know make out that it's about sort of trying to make out that teams are trying to play an advantage I think by doing that himself you know Christian Horner is playing an advantage himself yeah. he's just he's just, flow, he's just trying to throw the spotlight onto other people when he's doing exactly that himself so it's classic Christian Horner and it's classic Red Bull kind of you know win at all costs and mm. we, we spoke about it. When I saw you over the weekend, we spoke about this. And at what point does win at all costs become... When does it go too far? Like, when, when where's the limit of win at all costs? Now, you've got, like, over the last two years, like, this has escalated and escalated and escalated more and more and more. You've seen teams sort of arguing over people's rear wings getting touched. You've seen flexible rear wings. You've seen all this, that, and the other, all these guys sort of going after each other's cars. And for me, as, like, a fan of the sport, like, I'd much rather see the drivers just getting in the cars and getting on with it and not having all this, like, hoo-ha around. Like, every ra every single race weekend for the last yeah. year, there's been something about... There's some, there's some mad politics about, oh, this person's car's illegal, this, that, and the other. And I know, like that it's always existed in Formula 1. I know that there's always been sort of a political side to it and, and, a, and a team trying to sort of create an advantage and make the job easier for their drivers and slow other teams down and speed, up, speed themselves up if they can and that kind of thing by sort of manipulating the rules in whatever ways they can, influencing the rules in whatever way they can, I should say. And right now, I feel like this has got to the point of just silliness now i think yeah. like when when you've got 19 drivers on the grid saying we don't like the way these cars work and what these cars are doing to our bodies and you've got a team boss saying 
a team boss still even amidst all that trying to even then trying to impact the way this like is solved i think it just goes too far i think the drive i've said this for a long time i think the teams have like way too much influence over the rule book in formula one and something's got to give this needs to stop and it's making it makes the sport look bad and it makes the drivers look it almost makes the drivers look silly i think sometimes like yeah surely but, you want them to just get on with it get on the track and have a race yeah, but I think on the flip side of that, I think the fact that Perez and Signs are not as loudly as the drivers, but they're still saying in the media, like, you know, these are the what we're suffering and this needs to change. And they're saying that despite their team principles, like that speaks yeah. absolute volumes to me. Yeah, well, there's talk of like teams, team, like teams briefing drivers on what to say and what not to say as well. And I can totally believe oh, that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think also part of the problem like the fact that the driver some certain drivers can't sort of say what they really think about what's going on with their car because obviously the team it has an effect on the on the on the team's world championship and it's just like have some integrity man <laughs> like, I don't, no, like nobody gets to tell the drivers like what they're feeling when they're driving the car like yeah they there's know only 20 people in the world who know what it's like to drive on those cars and yes some of them have the problem worse than others but ultimately like they are the ones that know what it's like so let's maybe listen to them like it seems obvious to say it but mm. um should we move on and actually talk about the race Yes, let's, yeah. Because um, <laughs> it so was I a good race. <laughs> so it's it was a good race. It is worth talking about. I feel like we might need to edit quite a lot of that out, actually. To <laughs> just the 20 minutes maybe, like, before just, we actually yeah, get just, to the race. We'll just like, shift that across to like after we've <laughs> spoken about the race, because everyone in the chat has been like super quiet for ages as well. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we'll start with the fight for the win, which was between Verstappen and Sainz, which was... A nice yeah. change. It's fun. Yeah, it's um, legit. Yeah, uh, it, in many ways, it was kind of determined by the safety cars and where they dropped. Um, the first one we had uh, VSC for Perez's retirement. Uh, Verstappen pitted on lap nine to swap to hards, and Sainz stayed out. Um, that basically locked Verstappen into a two stopper there and then. Um, Signs pit under the second VSC on lap 18 which kind of still left Signs in the one stop window and I think if not for the late safety car Ferrari probably would have pushed for the one stop like Signs yeah. said he thought he had just about had the pace to hold Verstappen off would have been close I think but yeah I, well, I think it would have been like a similar situation but the other way around yeah sort of Signs ahead and Verstappen not quite quick enough to get it but then I don't know down the straight like the Red Bull has got the goods, so that's yeah, a very, exactly. Very tough call. Um, Verstappen made his second stop lap forty-four. He, he ended up at eleven seconds behind Signs, so he he closed the gap to about eight seconds by the time we got the full safety car. So the, you know the gap was coming down at a decent pace, but like mm-hmm. obviously on fresh tires, that's diminishing returns. Um, but yeah, Sonoda caused the full safety car, which let Signs put fresh hards on. So he was on six lap newer tires. Um, with 16 laps to go, um, he, I mean, he pushed Max very hard. He was there weren't many laps of those 16 that he wasn't in DRS range, um, but ultimately he never really looked like getting by, did he? 
No, he didn't. I so I mentioned at the time, like I wondered why he'd not gone on to mediums, but it turned out he didn't. He literally he didn't have any new mediums. He no, he, they he only had one set of mediums for the entire race, in fact, and they were they'd been used. <laughs> yeah, so, he did say um, that he did have a fresh set of softs left, and uh, signs that after the race, basically him and Ferrari expected the safety car to be gone much sooner. And if they'd known it was only going to be 16 racing laps, they'd probably have stuck a set of softs on and gone for it. But mm. obviously at the point they made the pit stop, they didn't know that. So, Yeah, yeah. Um, they, they actually had three sets of softs left um, at that point. Three fresh Shows how useless they are. <laughs> yeah, they they literally near, pretty much everyone had lo- loads of sets of softs and no one had any mediums and actually it turned yeah. out medium and hard was the strategy but anyway um, um, that's kind of like I feel like that has cost science the race though like the, the tyre selection because Leclerc had two sets of fresh softs going into this race and yeah. if it you know if Leclerc had been there and he'd had the had the softs to put on the, the, sorry mediums to put on then you know if it had been the other way around Leclerc would have been in with a shout of winning this race I think if he'd put mediums on he, he probably would have had a much more of a chance against Verstappen because it was traction it was traction out of turn 10 that was yeah that definitely seemed to be the throw as Achilles heel didn't it like out of the yeah. slow corners he looked terrible like however close yeah, signs really got into the hairpin Verstappen just drove away every time yeah Leclerc as well. Leclerc looked awful through the hairpin. Like he was just oh, shocking, so yeah. wide through the air, through the hairpin. It's like how is that car so bad in that corner and like so good everywhere else? It's crazy. Absolute understeer city. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as it was, Verstappen held on for the win. Um, extends his championship lead. Continues to look very good for him, doesn't it? We always yeah, like does. say there's a lot of season left, but it is looking very good for him. Right now, it looks great for him. Yeah, I mean, it's his. You know, if if you look at it, sort of like through the through the sort of very small window of time of where we are right now, then you would say absolutely it is Verstappen's lose at this point. He's forty five points ahead of it, forty three points ahead of or something of his nearest in the forties yeah. ahead of his nearest rival yeah. Leclerc. And I guess like the thing to remember is that not that long ago he was forty three points behind Leclerc. So it yeah. is possible that it, you know, it could swing back the other way. Like, and let's not forget, Leclerc had a sort of new engine and big penalties this weekend as well. So it was never going to be. It's basically like a free sort of pass for Verstappen this race. Yeah, it was totally. his to lose. Even though they weren't necessarily the quickest this weekend, I think the Ferrari was the quicker of the two cars over a race pace. It just mm-hmm. wasn't quite quick enough to get by him, and the the. We've seen this at every circuit where it's been like long straights, which has been oddly quite a few circuits we've been to so far this season. The Red Bull has just got such good straight line speed that yes, the Ferrari can be. You know, we've seen so many occasions Ferrari is quicker over a, a single lap, but the Red Bull is the better race car because it can race, it can overtake, it's got the speed on the straights to get the job yep. done. And uh, these cars in these new regulations can follow each other so it's played I mean that car is just so good isn't it that that Red Bull Adrian oh, Newey has just absolutely nailed that design like it is a very 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 good car um, and it's I guess it, it's super exciting to see because the two cars have got different qualities and uh, you know have different sort of 
areas of strength and weakness and I think the next race potentially you could see the Ferrari I think the Ferrari would be more in the mix I think the Mercedes would be more in the mix at um, Silverstone as well I think both of those mm-hmm. two, I think it's going to be very could be very close between the top three actually at Silverstone it, um, um, it almost reminds me not quite as dramatically as but as back in the I can't remember how many years ago it was now in World Endurance Championship when you had Audi Porsche and Toyota all competing at the front and yeah. I think it was a race at Silverstone it might be all the ones we went to at Silverstone where you had whichever way around it was you'd like have the Porsche would get ahead through the corners then as soon as you got to the straight the Audi would just motor past like the Porsche was standing still and then you get back yeah. to the corners and the Porsche would sneak by again it was just like that lap after lap and it's it's that thing where you can have two cars that are strong in such different areas yeah. And then over a lap, they're a couple of tenths apart. Like it's it's so interesting to watch. Yeah, it's it's grip versus power essentially, isn't it? That's yeah, and that that's what it was then. And I think it, uh, for for what you mentioned for the WEC race that we went to that we that well that we saw that season, and yeah, I think this is to a lesser degree. I think that's playing yeah. out, um, playing out so far this season too. But I think a big part of it is the fact that cars are able to follow each other. I think if it there's this if it was the same situation last year. You wouldn't notice it as notice it as much because you would never if you've got the grippier car you'd never be able to get close. Sorry, if you've got the more powerful car, you'd never be able to stay close enough to actually make that power make a difference. Yes. And I think now having the more powerful car or the car that's better in a straight line, whether that's engine power, whether that's downforce, the way the downforce is working on the Red Bull or whatever it is, that car is able to follow cars and make use of its power on the straights to get by and the ferrari yeah. just doesn't have enough straight line speed whether and whether that's you know i i it's, it's marginal between all the engines it's literally like 10 or 20 horsepower between all four engines in formula one at the moment so it's not it's not that one team showing up with a monster engine i think it's much much more about the aero and mm-hmm. red bull have just got it right yeah right now they really are um, I've got more to say on that, but I know we've got a few questions in the inbox around them, so I'll, I'll move us on for now. Okay. Um, Mercedes. Um, turn up on Friday with lots more, this is the worst car I've ever driven. And then yeah. um, by Saturday, it is like they just had a new car. Like it, it hmm. Funny that, isn't it? Life. So, Weird that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so they were assessing the bouncing in all the cars, and the, on Friday, the cars were bouncing unbelievably <laughs> and shockingly some, so. somehow they managed to make it not bounce as much on Sunday so I have a theory here um, I if think I was kind of where you're going with this yeah if I was Mercedes I would have that car bouncing the most I've, you've ever seen anything but it'd be like a like a like a I'd be, <laughs> it'd be it'd be bouncing like a crap dolphin all the way down the straight it's like <laughs> all the way down as much as possible you dial in as much bounce as you can into that car so that when they're assessing it that threshold is naturally set much much higher yeah. than what you what then what you would normally run at so you know you want to show them you, you want to see bouncing i'll show you bouncing that's <laughs> that's kind of like yeah tigger so yeah, I, I, that's absolutely 100% what Mercedes were doing for me. Very, and then, it sounds like a very gameable system, doesn't it, the way it's currently worded? Exactly, and I think that's 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 the problem with it. But anyway, carry on. Um, 
but yeah, we haven't really mentioned qualifying yet, but obviously we had a very exciting wet qualifying. Mercedes ended up fourth and eighth on the grid. Probably would have been fourth and fifth, but Russell gambled on soft tyres on the drying track. Um, probably worth a gamble in Mercedes' shoes. If he got it right, it'd have looked like a hero, but it, it wasn't quite ready for him. Just was about five, ten minutes off, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, oh, I, th- I thought during the race, the two of them looked very, very close on pace throughout the whole race. It kind of ebbed and flowed, but for the most part, they seemed very close um i mean the big difference was that hamilton hit under the first virtual safety car and russell didn't and i think ultimately that was probably what decided the order they finished in in the end um yeah but yeah very strong result for them first podium for hamilton since the open race of the season good to see him back up there he seemed much happier after that race than he has been in recent weeks yeah he did actually didn't he he yeah well lewis hamilton smiled (laughs) For one, <laughs> haven't seen, seen much of that have we? yeah not seen much of that this season he did look really happy and it was good to see the crowd the crowd like uh, um, in Canada really seemed to get behind Hamilton yeah um, they all really like him they were really really vocal about sort of you know his 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 finish his hand and, Alon- and Alonso's um, <laughs> qualifying as well <laughs> much to the despair of Max Verstappen oh that um, made me laugh so much when the crowd cheered and Verstappen was like just getting out of his car and he sort of turned around like oh is that for me and like no Alonso was pulling up it's all for him. yeah it was great it was funny wasn't it <laughs> it really um, was yeah so it is I mean it's good to see the Mercedes sort of maybe starting to get I mean you know is it starting to get there who knows but it, it's nice to see them get a good result um, and see them in the mix it's this you don't our dream, everyone's dream in Formula One, who watches Formula One, was to have like a big freeway fight. I think this year we were all expecting this big freeway yeah. fight to materialise from the start of the season, and it just hasn't quite panned out that way. And now I think like my revised hope now is that we at least get a freeway fight in the sort of second half, towards the second mm-hmm. half of the season, or maybe like you know maybe from Belgium on, onwards. That would be amazing if we could, if they could. Um, you really want to see like the three top teams having an impact. It would be rad. So, yeah, it, like it's, 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 there's, there's like there are slowly like signs of that happening, and I you do wonder like what this rule change is going to do. It's going to make the next race next in- really really interesting. What's going to happen with this rule change, isn't it? It'll be great if like back half of the season you've got Ferrari and Red Bull locked in this battle for the championship, and then Mercedes like are on pace and they're just sort of like we know we're coming third or whatever we do we're just here to make your lives difficult for the rest of the season yeah i don't know i think like i think if you're reb if you're if you're mercedes if you're lewis hamilton and probably if you're george russell as well you do everything you can to to make red bull not win two championships in a row oh you know who I mean, they obviously to win it What do what? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you oh, prefer yeah. Leclerc. Yeah, yeah. Mercedes would much rather see uh, Leclerc win the championship, I think. Yeah, and maybe Ferrari, but like, oh, for sure. Uh, you know, like, let's not rule out like Russell's only fifteen points behind Leclerc at the moment. Yeah, and which is mad. Yeah, with everything we've just said, if this rule change does have an impact on the, sort of the running order and how how everyone sort of stacks up against each other and brings sort of certain teams into the mix and takes pace away from other teams, then 
you know, we could have a situation where you get in towards the sort of final few races of the season. Say we get to, I don't know, Japan. And Russell could be actually in the mix for the championship still. Like, he's clinging on to to, to third. And he's not yeah. actually that far behind Ferrari. I mean, yeah, fair enough, Ferrari have imploded this last few weeks. But, you know, Red Bull could implode. It looks unlikely right now, but it's it Well, I mean, Red Bull had another mechanical failure this race. Like, that... Yeah. There's still gremlins in that car that need sorting. Um, yeah. We are obliged to point out that Russell have finished in the top five again. Because yes, we have to also true. Week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I guess to quickly mention Perez, um, he had that crash in Q2, which left him back in 13th on the grid um, and had to have that sort of lonely walk through the wilderness to find his way back to the pit lane, which was quite entertaining. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I don't think they've said exactly what the problem was, but it very much looked like a gearbox uh, failure for him in the race. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah it well, I mean, he went for a gear and it just spun up, didn't it? So there yeah, wasn't one. It's, yeah, it was definitely it sounded certainly sounded gearbox related. Still, still lots of gremlins in that car. I mean, it it feels like one of those seasons where the vast majority of the technical issues seem to be landing on one of the two cars for no apparent reason. I mean, maybe his crash in qualifying could have had an effect, but it didn't. It wasn't that big an impact. Was yeah, it? So I don't. It wasn't very big impact. If it did. And it was the front of the car as well. I mean, it's po- it yeah. is possible because they are like, you know, they're like Swiss watchers, these gearboxes, as Martin yeah, Lundell exactly. would say. But the, I would be surprised if, if a frontal impact against a relatively soft surface at relatively low speed would have had too much impact on the gearbox at that point. I think it's just... Then again, <laughs> he was jamming it in reverse and trying to pull it out of the tyre wall in reverse, so that probably didn't that do That is true. Yeah, I mean, it, the gearbox. Yeah, that is true. Um, it definitely wouldn't have done it much good. And they don't; these cars do not like reverse gear. Reverse gear in these is like the tiniest, famously, most lightweight, crappiest. That's barely a gear. <laughs> yeah, famously fragile reverse gears. Yeah. So yeah, if if something on that's like sheared and come loose within the gearbox and then got it's possible. Gotten, yeah, it totally. It could like shear the teeth on in some of the gearboxes, in another mm. part of the gearbox, and and make it so that. It damages it sort of later on so yeah there could have been bits of loose metal hanging around there to to cause a mess later on um yeah doesn't take much yeah doesn't take much at all uh, um you want to you got leclerc next on the list yeah leclerc so we knew he was gonna have to take some engine components in the end he took a new everything basically new ecu new internal combustion engine turbo mguh mguk and an exhaust um, and all but the exhaust uh, he's now gone over his limit for the season uh, which left him starting on the back row um, he had a sort of he didn't exactly set the world alight in the first half of the race did he like on sort of high fuel in the pack he seemed to struggle to make a whole lot of progress um, the aforementioned massive understeer at the hairpin probably being the main culprit for that Um hmm. Second half was much better for him, uh, helped by safety cars a little bit. He ended up climbing all the way up to fifth place, and he was only less than three seconds off Russell in the end. So I think if you'd have given him fifth place before the race, he'd probably have taken it. Solid result under the circumstances. Yeah, I think so. I think Ferrari will be quite pleased with that. I think if this... but. I think it's testament to how close the field, how much closer the field is, that he's only managed to get to fifth. Because I think if yeah. this happened last year to one of the leading cars, then they would have been 
right up at the front in like third or second probably yeah we saw um, Hamilton and Verstappen do it so many times last year yeah yeah I and mean, we saw Hamilton I mean look at Hamilton in Brazil last year exactly yeah you know I, and that's just that could not happen this year I don't think with any no, of the I cars don't think so I don't either. think even, even the Red Bull's not that quick so and the Ferrari, Ferrari ain't Mercedes definitely ain't <laughs> um so yeah, I think those days are over. I think that this race has proved that. Um, and Leclerc and Ferrari knew that going into this, that this was going to be a really, really tough one. So they've definitely made the best of of what what they had in, in, in a bad situation, I think, there. Yeah, I think it could agreed. have been a lot, lot worse for Leclerc. So he's actually Leclerc is like a bit of a candidate for driver of the day for me, for him to get that result. Because mm-hmm. even though he's in the best car, he's still had to really, really drive the wheels off it and work really hard to finish up in fifth there. So, yeah, it's yeah, a very absolutely. good result. Um, Alpine will do next. Uh, Alonso, first front row start in over a decade, which is wow. a wild statistic. Uh, that is nuts. German Grand Prix in 2012 was the last time he was on the front row. Um, that was just one of those, it's raining, a driver just turns up and shows everyone. It. Yeah, he just was brilliant properly brilliant uh really have you watched the lap yes it's wild (laughs) yeah man it's that is a hectic hectic it's a good lap out of the final corner out of the chicane he's like sideways he left nothing on the table through there um so good so so good and good to see good to see see alonso and the crowd loved it you heard like we mentioned we alluded to it a moment ago the crowd absolutely loved it at the expense of verstappen which is always entertaining (laughs) (laughs) um sadly the race was nowhere near as good for him um pretty much all the safety cars went against him strategically and he had an engine issue from lap 20 which left him um pretty slow on the straights and then as a sort of final cherry on the cake he got a five second penalty for weaving on the straight when he was defending from Bottas in the closing laps um, which dropped him from seventh to ninth have you seen Bottas's on board of that I bet it's bad it's really <laughs> bad it's it. it's it's the same Fernando Alonso that was cutting corners in Abu Dhabi last time he retired just like yeah. uh, I, I don't want to finish in this position I'm going to make my own rules yeah it's 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 not good it's a totally deserved penalty man that's not cool, man. Like it's nah, such a shame. It's, it's such a sh- he, yeah, he's so good. He's so bloody good. And it's not. It's it's kind of like think if like Pastor Maldonado did Maldonado did something like that. Everyone would be like on him like a rash. This guy should be in Formula One. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. But the fact that it's Alonso just means that oh, Alonso up to his old tricks. Oh, again. what a scamp! <laughs> scamp. Yeah. <laughs> um. Ocon quietly had a pretty decent race. Um, he gained a position or two to sixth, equal to his best result of the season. Um, he even kind of backed off to help uh, give Alonso a bit of DRS help to try and keep people behind him towards the end <laughs> in that like fully team player sort of vibe they have at Alpine a lot of the time. But yeah, good race for him. Yeah, T- Team player vibe, except for when Fernando Alonso wants to go past his yeah. teammate. Then it's that nice, was so. that that whole thing was a little bit weird, wasn't it? Because like even on the radio, the engineer to Ocon was saying, "We don't know what he's going to do. We just don't know what he's going to do." <laughs> like, is that just good a for a team? Like, yeah, <laughs> like is that is that healthy? I don't know, but um, not really. Look, Alpine, like this is a good result for Alpine. This is not a bad result for yeah. Alpine. I think it's a shame they could have they probably could have done better with Alonso. I think he was on the pace. He was on. He maybe had like a fourth place in him. I think fourth or fifth. Had the uh, 
had the engine not been given up the ghost on him halfway through. But um, yeah, you know, it's just it's just unfortunate. It's a, it's a shame to see, but it's still a decent result for Alpine overall, I would say. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, good result as well for Alfa Romeo, seventh and eighth. Um, Joe finally breaking a seven-race streak of not picking up points. Um, a lot of the time, despite his efforts, so it was nice to see it finally come good for him. With um, uh, his eighth-place finish for him after Alonso's penalty. Uh, also worth noting that he outqualified Bottas. I think that's two races in a row now he's outqualified Bottas, which is no mean feat because we all know how good a qualified Bottas is. So. Um, yeah, I thought it was a really impressive race from Joe, actually. Um, he seems to... He's sort of quietly just learning and improving, I think. He's, he's had some ropey races early doors, but he's he's doing a good job at the moment. Yeah, he's, he's had a great weekend. Um, absolutely really killed. It was good to watch as well. Yeah, it's some good moves going on over there. And mm. yeah, just, just, just a great drive altogether from, from uh, Joe this weekend. Um, the thing that uh, bugs me the most is when David Croft calls him Joe. Yes, that's Joe. just not his name. <laughs> Just call him his actual name, please. It's like it it it, it bothered me when he used to say Giovinazzi, which yeah, like, like I I why? I know like, like the proper pronunciation of that. He he, he he's pretty close. It, he still sounded like he was just saying two names, Giovinazzi, but it was close-ish. But calling. Joe, Joe is just, it's just incorrect. There's no two ways yeah. about it. It's kind of like, it's weird, isn't it? It's a weird yeah. thing to do. Anyway, it really is. We should, let's not dwell on that. No. Um, uh, we spoke about Perez, didn't we? Yeah, we did Perez. So Haas, I think the last teams to talk about, um, equaled their best ever qualifying with fifth and sixth place. Um, and then it just all fell apart for them, really. Uh, yeah, Magnussen, that, you know, they flew under the radar with that qualifying performance. Like I watched so qualifying good. was super. I think Alonso just overshadowed everything. That's such a good yeah. result for Haas. And it wasn't just wet weather either. Like they were looking on the pace through dry practice as well. Like they legitimately had pace in that car. Um, it's such a shame for how it played out for them. So Magnussen, uh, he picked up front wing damage on lap one, and he got given the meatball flag, which dropped him to the back. That was so unnecessary. That was that, that did not need. He did not need a flag for that. So like, I'll, I'll grab a couple of questions from the inbox actually, because we've had a couple of people on this. Uh, Mike okay, P. Before asked, you, I'll go on then. Go on, read them, read them, read them. Uh, Mike P. said, "What are your reactions to Magnussen being shown the meatball flag because of damage to his front wing?" Uh, and Charlotte Taylor says, why did K-Man get the meatball flag for a slightly damaged end plate, but it was okay for Yuki to have a rear wing held together with tape? Exactly. That's a very good point. She, just absolutely outrageous. I cannot believe they've given... What were they thinking? Like, they it's, need to I, calm I, down. Do they just want to the show time, the meatball flag? Like, yeah, I said at the time, it's like in Baku, they found the meatball flag in the box of flags. And I was like, oh yeah, remember we've got this. And then this race, they were just looking for an excuse to use it again yeah it, was it feels that way so unnecessary like we've seen people driving around with so much more damage than that of recent. and you know i know yeah. two wrongs don't make a right and stuff and you know if if they're gonna start using it more to genuinely get people to repair damage fair enough but this felt pretty extreme yeah I mean, Magnuson irritated at call to repair scratched wing i think that's totally <laughs> totally scratched. fair enough like it was, yeah. but you know, you've seen. I think I'm pretty sure I've seen a Mercedes go now with almost the exact same kind of damage this season yeah. at some point, and I think they went the entire race with it just like hanging on. Um, 
I don't know if it was a Mercedes or it was, a, it was one of the front teams. Like they got wing damage, and um, yeah, it's just silly. And why ruin a drive when they've had such a good performance in qualifying? Why ruin a driver's race like that? It just yeah, it just it makes no sense race to me. with a single flag, basically. Yeah, but the point of yeah. Yuki having a rear wing held together with tape in Baku, one of the most yeah. high, highest stress on a rear wing, and they didn't they didn't give him the meatball for that. So, yeah, just absolute. I'm I'm pretty outraged by that. It's just a yeah, really, 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 really poor stewarding decision there. Um, and then Mick was he lost a couple of places off the start, but he was running fairly well in the points um, until he had some kind of power unit issue that forced his retirement. Um, five races in a row now Haas have not scored points um, I was really gutted for Schumacher because it finally looked like he was going to pick up those points but it, it just it feels like this season when if it's not Mick himself making mistakes something else is happening to stop him getting results like it's always one or the yeah. other it, it, it never seems to quite all sync up for him yeah, but at least, you know, he he does look a little bit more steady in that car now, though, I would say. Like, he's definitely yeah. sort of, like, he's sort of easing his way in and just sort of starting to feel his way into the this new formula, which, as we've said, we keep saying this about Schumacher, it does take him a bit of time to find his feet, I think, in a new formula. And um, he's, he is starting to show the signs now that he's not overdriving it anymore, and he's just, he's learning... I guess where the limits are for this car and like how to find them and how to exploit that car without pushing it too far. Yeah. You know, without overdriving. He's been overdriving a lot and I think he's just managed mm-hmm. to rein it in. And you know what? That's the sign of like a really, really good driver. I think one day, like if he can get in the right team, he'll, he'll do the business. But for now, like he just needs to stay focused, keep up the good work and, and just, keep on not making mistakes and just like try and get some good results yeah and i think once he gets over the disappointment of this like there are a lot of positives from this weekend he can take um and you know this is a track that i'm not sure he's ever raced at before um so you know going next to silverstone which is a track he's raced at a lot um hopefully you can you know keep stringing a bit performance together Mm mm-hmm uh, right, should we pick a driver of the day? We've sort of already talked about a couple. Yes. Um, yeah, so Leclerc's like definitely got a, you know, it is worth, absolutely worth a mention at the very least. Mm-hmm. Um, good drive from the from the back to fifth. I um, would I would maybe add Verstappen to the conversation. Like we don't generally give it to race winners, but he had to withstand quite a lot of pressure and you know keep tires alive at the right points and stuff really really good drive from him again yeah yeah definitely a really really good drive from Verstappen to soak up that pressure I, I mean we've given it for we've given driver of the day for less than yes for what, sure what um Verstappen did this race weekend um, um so yeah he's he's absolutely a candidate I think you know I think like I think Hamilton man like Hamilton getting up there and just like having a having a decent weekend without any bad I, I I struggle to actually give it to Hamilton but definitely the the sort of there's an honorable mention for him because he's yeah, had such sure. a torrid season so far and I think to to show the level of fortitude he has to to take the result when it's come is is definitely like a 
you know, a big positive for him and a and a and a, and a testament to how just how good he is. Oh so, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I but, but I, I believe I'm right in saying we gave it him last week, and I think it was a much more impressive drive from him last week. Um, yes, I think I think it might be Joe for me though. Like out qualified his teammate. I don't think he's ever been at this track either. Really tricky conditions in qualifying, and he aced it. Um, mm-hmm. Strong result. Yeah, I was I was really impressed yeah. with with Joe. Mm. Um, you know, science is worth mentioning too. He is. Um, if he'd won it, absolute shoo-in. Um, yeah. And again, there's I know there's question in the inbox around science, so I don't want to like go too deep into it. But I, 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 I needed a little bit more from him for me to get drive of the day. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'd agree with that. So um, overall, then it's, it's either Joe or um, Leclerc. I think. I think. Yeah. I think. I think Joe. Yeah. I think I'll be a popular one. Yeah. Um, That's not why we do it, though. We don't do it. We don't <laughs> pick the popular one. We pick what we think. We don't, but just as an observation, I think it will be a popular one. <laughs> um, what about move of the day? I think Leclerc on Ocon was one of my favourites. That was into the chicane. The first chicane or the one before the hairpin? The final chicane. Sorry, the one. Oh, the final. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Of course, it was. There's so many chicanes yeah. of this circuit. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, that was a good one. Um, he got Danny Rick into the middle chicane as well, which was of note because I don't think many people made passes there. But it was it was quite a nice one. Hmm. Um, there are a couple of lap one uh, nominations as well. Um, Hit me. There was so into the first chicane, Hamilton went up the inside of Magnuson. Um it was a proper like I am here, I'm coming through kind of move. Um Oh that was the move that stuff. Yeah, that was wasn't that the move that damaged Magnuson's front wing? Or like it was uh, it was around that point. It was like either it was, on the lead up to that corner or Yeah, it was, it was around that, that time. Um yeah. and then Russell up the inside of Schumacher at the hairpin on the first lap as well was good. It was a sort That of was a good move, yeah. yeah. Real opportunistic you've left me a car's width, I'm going to put my car there kind of move. Yeah, that was a good one. I, yeah. I did I did enjoy that as well. Um, I think the one, the first one that came to mind is definitely the the Leclerc on Ocon into the final chicane. I think that one was like, at the time I remember seeing it thinking, that was epic. Kind of thing. The fact that he had to use every bit of road and then maybe a little bit more as well and he still managed to get make it stick. And, and Oh, was that the one where he took like a ton of curb in the process and like yeah any other car would have been backwards in the wall of champions but that yeah, Ferrari yeah. just like gobbled up curbs like yeah. nobody's business it, it was one of those like do or die moves and if yeah. you, it's one of those where you're risking your whole race for it and he and he pulled it off and yeah. Leclerc so far this season has not been great at those moves and <laughs> um and um yeah he he nailed that one so that's that's my move of the day i can go with that i can go with that for sure cool um and then the final award this week honestly what the f- are we doing here okay so the first one you've got here is sonoda crashing on the way out of the pits which is fine oh, like it was bad yeah really there was a bump. Bad. apparently there was a bump the science was saying there was a bump there and he was scared of it all weekend and he was worried about yeah. himself um kind of understandable like i mean he was the only driver to crash on his way out of the pit <laughs> so he's obviously pushing a bit too hard it happens 
Yeah. Um, um, I know me, you've got. I know you've got something to get into, but you've just reminded me. I just want to quickly mention we had on. the room of awkward back, but yeah. they hadn't got it mic'd up properly, and the sound kept cutting out, and that really annoyed me. Like, if you're going to give us the room of awkward, let us let us hear the chat. But yeah, it's definitely one of those weekends where the broadcast has absolutely taken over. WTF moment of the of the race weekend. Um, my biggest <laughs> one is the race start. We've missed the race. Though. You missed the. You didn't see the lights go off. Yeah. Did you know? Actually, I forgot about that. I was, like, I was even... like, oh great! I didn't see the start of the race because we we're too busy looking at something else. It was just like bizarre. I, I feel like David Croft was just like talking about the cars lining up, and then the camera cut and they're moving. He had to just be like, no, oh, and lights out, and away we go. Like it's happened. Oh, I haven't yeah. even had time to do my usual catchphrase sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I completely forgot about that. But yeah, and like I get that it was like a short period, but like it's not their first rodeo, you know? <laughs> like they communicate. <laughs> like people people want to see the lights go out and see the cars go off the line. It's unforgivable for me. It's not only is it like a pain in the butt for the fans because they basically miss the race start. And you, one of my favorite things about watching a race start is trying to figure out in that really really quickly in that moment like part of the meat of watching race starts is seeing who got the better start of the two cars at the front yeah and sort of enjoying that like th- that sort of race of reaction from them and we didn't really get to watch that and that's one of the most exciting things about formula one but the really annoying thing is for anyone who uses that feed to make content like say i don't know formula one.com um <laughs> The people who've got to do that, it then just causes like massive problems for them because obviously you're going to want the race start in the highlights. <laughs> like you're not going to. Quite important. Yeah, and yeah, they they they, they literally missed the start. And I will also say, um, have it having been out for a beer or two with you before the race, and then stopping for food on the way home, I was cutting it very fine to make it back in time for the start of the race as it was. And that, like, the start just seeming to happen out of nowhere only added stress to me nearly missing yeah. the race start. Yeah, yeah. I was the same, man. Like, my internet, <laughs> I was having I was having issue, internet issues, which I was trying to solve on the back of, like, a few, let's say a few pints of Craft Ale, <laughs> which yeah, Craft Ale isn't, Craft Ale's not always weak. <laughs> <laughs> it's usually it's usually not weak so it makes it a bit more difficult to solve it problems at home um and yeah that was uh that was quite a stressful one. i was i think it was like five minutes like I, in fact i turned it on as the title sequence comes on and the title sequence comes in about 10 minutes before lights out so yeah it was yeah it was some like those are that's kind of a personal wtf <laughs> yeah i blame rick astley and i'm gonna give no more yeah context i blame him than too. that yeah yeah, me too. Um, so I, I think yeah, for me the the standout is the standout UTF is just not showing the lights going out and like almost literally missing the start. It's yeah, I can, I can go with that. Yeah, I can definitely go with that. I didn't see any like mad camera angles this week though, which I'm quite pleased about. No, they didn't. I didn't, have, they didn't, I didn't, really know, didn't notice any. Anyway, maybe they've been listening. No tree camera or anything or. Um... I don't know what I mean, they tree do. Tree cam, I don't mind. I mean, I don't mind tree cam. It's wall cam. I'm not into hole in the wall <laughs> cam. I've just got no time for tree cam. I don't mind it, but I don't mind an artsy shot. I just don't like a dumb shot. <laughs> uh, right, let's uh, dip into uh, fancy corner. Brought to you by Grid Rival, our friends over there. Um, predictions league first. 
in terms of us three, Tom was top scorer this week. He picked up three points for the double Verstappen and 17 finishers. Me and you, Stu, only got the one point each for Verstappen winning. Yep. In terms of listeners, uh, John Murphy and Victoria Hayes, both unbelievably close. Um, they both hedged their bets and went, because Mick Schumacher was random driver this week, and they hedged their bets and had... Mika's first DNF, but put him 19th for random driver rather than 20th. Oh. And as a result, they both got four and a half out of five. Um, Perez retiring a few laps earlier was the only thing that stopped them uh, getting a clean sweep. So well done to both of you for getting four and a half. Um, so very close. Um, in the overall league, uh, Tom Thorne is top on 18 points. Uh, Jana Berger and Vinnie Blanco both only one point behind, so still very tight there. And then over in grid rival, uh, Graham Superstappen is the biggest climber this week. <laughs> he scored 1,019 points, which jumps him ahead of Green Lantern Corpse and Darth Tater up into second place. But ID Depras is still our number one on 8,694 points. Wow. That is a lot so of many good names in our grid rival. Like, yeah, they're really good names. In there. So everyone good. should go and sign up. Yeah, or at the very least, just go and have a browse through the leaderboard and chuckle to yourself for a while. Yeah, and while you're there, <laughs> while you're there, have a sign up. Have a bungalow sign. Right, right. Which Next leads one. us to is uh, keep me saying now. But stay, but stay out. Hey man. Deafening this week, Chris. Deafening. <laughs> um, shall I take the first one? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Imposter Nikki says Mick can't catch a break. If he ends up continuing to not be useful at Haas, where would he end up? Either in F1 or other series? Hmm. I feel like if if F1 doesn't pan out for him, I think Ferrari will look after him. Um Obviously, like Ferrari, have all got lots of GT stuff going on. Yeah. Um, doing a hypercar. They're going to be they? entering. Yeah, they're entering hypercar in the next few years. Um, Maserati are going to be in Formula E, I believe, next season or the season after. And obviously, there's Ferrari links there. So there's still rumblings of Ferrari starting to uh, build stuff for IndyCar in the next few years as well. So I th- there's lots of places I think they would find a home for him. I don't think they would just let him get unceremoniously dumped out of F1 if it came to it no well I mean it, yeah I mean the, he's got to he, he does have to perform I think he there's does. no doubt he, he's, he's still got to do a good job the name will only get you so far I think like if he doesn't have the goods and the, the, this is as far as the name will get you where he is now mm-hmm. anything after this he has to I'm not saying that he's only there because he's called Schumacher, because obviously he he is decent. He beat his teammate hands down last year. It's just he needs to settle in and do more and and be a bit better, really. And yeah. hopefully he hopefully he'll do that over the season. I would love to see him do that. I'd love to see another Schumacher win a championship. I think it'd be rad as anything. Oh, it'd be to, incredible, yeah, for that to happen. But yeah. He, in terms of like where could they put him yeah all those you list I think I could see him as like a hypercar driver for WEC when Ferrari do eventually sort of do that yeah. I think it might be a bit might be a bit better for him because they're much more drivable cars than a Formula 1 car is or they usually are so that could be that could be an option but really the focus right now 
for everyone around Schumacher should be Formula One still. I don't think that certainly I don't think his time is up in Formula One yet. Oh yeah, for sure. I'm really interested to see what Ferrari's driver lineup is going to be for um, for WEC. But that's a that's a whole side thing. But that's a future conversation for sure. Um, next, McCheco asks: Had Charles Leclerc been in Carlos Sainz's position at the end of the race, could he have been able to mount an attack on Max Verstappen for the win? And Peter Reynolds also adds: We've got to discuss how Carlos is good but not great. A great would have chased Max down. And this kind mm. of this kind of comes back to what I've been sort of avoiding saying so far this podcast because I knew this question was coming and that is that partway through that race I said if Carlos Sainz is ever going to win a Grand Prix this is it and and he couldn't and you know yes you could say he wasn't on the right tyres like maybe that last safety car wasn't the best timing for him whatever but I do I did kind of come away with it feeling like there are other drivers on that grid that would have mounted a much stronger challenge to Verstappen than Sainz was able to. I don't know, man. I think that car, like the both those Ferraris through that final corner, he no. I don't think either of those cars are getting by Verstappen. I think the just that combination of that combination of cars and drivers, I think is. Uh, I don't think it's suboptimal. I think like I think I think science did everything he could with what he had. I don't I, I don't think Hamilton, I don't think Russell, I don't think anyone if if they were in that Ferrari was getting past Verstappen on I, that day. I'll tell you I'll tell you what really stood out to me. Immediately after the race when you saw Verstappen and Science having a little chat, Max was like well the first thing he said to him was like, Oh, you were like uh, alternating attacks and charging your battery, weren't you? Which was like kind of a, a thinly veiled way of Max saying I knew exactly I what you were doing yeah, yeah. and I completely had it covered. And like, it, yeah. it, it felt very early on that Sainz was charging his battery, not having a great exit from the hairpin, catching down the back straight and not getting close enough to overtake. And just that was it. That played out every other lap until they ran out of yeah. laps. And there was no like, try something different. There was no adjust where you're deploying, like have a sniff into a different corner. And yeah. Hamilton in that situation, I, I feel like would have tried something different. Verstappen in the same, you know, roles reverse. Verstappen would probably yeah. have tried something into a completely different corner. And that, I, I was, I was hoping to see more of that from Science. I was okay. a bit disappointed we didn't. So, I suppose. But I think, do you not think Science? There's an element of he's had a shocking season so far, and he's probably looking at second place potentially like trying for a win but not wanting to risk too much because he's had a shocker all season and he's probably feeling a bit vulnerable if he tried something and binned it we'd have been probably sat here tearing him to pieces right now so yeah yeah like consolidating the second place is always better than taking a massive risk unnecessarily it's fair yeah i think that's definitely the word i would use consolidation for for him rather yeah. than i don't think he ne- at this point in the season as well like it's good points for the team and Leclerc's a little bit further back so they're they're kind of you know I think the team would have been relatively happy considering he started fourth as well was it third sorry he started third didn't he um, yeah considering he's gained so he's gained a place and a win would have been great like I I was willing him on I really really wanted him to win and I suppose I agree with you 
to a degree I think most of the drivers probably would have been having sniffs elsewhere and, and sort of trying to hustle Verstappen a little bit more than yeah. maybe you saw Science doing but maybe the best thing maybe this is the best result Signs could have got for the moment I think his confidence level in that car isn't where it needs to be he's definitely had some really shaky moments we've seen on track he's had some super shaky yeah. moments he's been off and obviously that car doesn't suit him very well so I don't know for me like for me the the issue was the Ferrari more than it was the driver I think if that car had had the traction in the right place if it had been set up properly to, to, yeah. to get the job done yeah. then he probably would would have got it done but I think just he didn't quite have the setup and he didn't quite have the grip where he needed it to, to make an overtake. And that's something and Ferrari are going to have to go away this week and have a really, really you know strong analysis of and yeah. and try and establish why they were so bad out of that corner when, you know, if they were going to get overtakes done, down that straight was where they were going to do it. And they were the worst looking car off that corner for me that I saw all mm. weekend. So, yeah. Um, big big questions. I don't. I really don't think it's science. I think it's team more than science. once again. I think Ferrari as a team have have thrown it away rather than the driver yeah. individually. No, that's fair. And you know what? By consolidating second place on a race, he knew he was going to finish ahead of his teammate. Like he's despite everything this season, signs is back to within less than a win behind Leclerc now. So yeah, pretty good day in the office, all in all. Yeah, signs had to get the job done this weekend and I would consider this weekend for science a job well done yeah I, no, I, 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 certainly, think that's fair. I, I wouldn't say like he's you know I, he certainly hasn't you could say he lost the race but I, I don't know I, I think he he did he, he got out of that car everything that car had to give I would say this weekend yeah and I think like my frustration and my wanting more from him only comes because I do want him to do well and I want to see him win races so when it didn't pan out it's like I, I want that little bit more from him yeah. but yeah you, you are right it was still totally. it's a, a gut punch man. for him it's a gut punch because he was he was clearly quicker he was like half a second quicker a lap but it just he yeah. needed to be really he needed he was quick in the wrong places like he needed to be quick yeah because he was catching him all the way through the lap like bit by bit by bit and then he gets to the final um, final straight and well the, the straight before the chicane the final chicane and just just, just didn't have the traction off the final corner and didn't have the power to keep up with the yeah it's ran out of didn't, and didn't have the yeah too much drag to keep up with it so yeah and I Did think had it been a dry qualifying signs would almost certainly have been on pole as well for me and I think it would have been a very different race had that been the case but that's I agree yeah yeah Oh, it's me, isn't it? Um, it you. Then where is the next one? You you just did Peter Reynolds, didn't you? Um, yes. Adam Busby says seems to be bad strategy. Let down Alonso again. Was there any more he could have done to better his chances of a podium, or is the Alpine just not strong enough in pace to fight with the top teams? I'm not sure he was ever gonna have a podium. I don't think. And obviously, it's hard to I think say. Fourth, fourth was the absolute best that he was. Yeah, do. I mean, he was always going to drop down. I think ultimately, at least one of the Mercedes were always going to get him. Yeah, um, and obviously the fact that I don't, I don't think strategically, the team particularly failed him. I think the strategy they went for was kind of fell apart with the safety car timing, 
And let's um, not forget the engine died on him as well. Exactly, yeah. He was suffering his engine. So, yeah, I, I, it, it wasn't necessarily the team's fault. I mean, obviously, the engine dying is the team's fault. But, um, yeah, make a better but engine. Yeah, <laughs> I think it would have, yeah, it would have taken slightly more exceptional circumstances for him to be on the podium, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with that. I think, you know, he's already... He would have been one one further back if Perez had not retired. Exactly, um, yeah. So the, the best they could have hoped for... they I think they said themselves the best they were looking for was like fifth or sixth. I think the fact that he's been beaten by his teammate is probably what's upsetting him more than anything else. Mm. Um, you could hear him on the radio saying, what difference does it make? Let me through. And I kind of agree with him. Like, why not let him through? Because he was quicker. but And, and he's been he had been quicker all weekend. But yeah, but it go. It's kind of like we were saying with the McLarens in Baku, isn't it? Like yeah, what's the uh, you know, you're, in, yeah. you're in the closing laps. Yes, you're quicker, but neither of you are catching the guy ahead. So let's just just yeah. like why like, risk cause... it? Yeah, why mess exactly, around? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, cool. Okay, next one, last one. Final question this week from Michelle. Uh, do you see Alex going back to Red Bull in the future? Simple one to answer that one. It's a no from me. <laughs> I think it's a no for me as well. I think there's. Uh, there's just too much young talent coming through like Red Bull had a bit of a deficit of new drivers for a few years but there's like an enormous queue of new drivers now waiting in the wings yeah. so they've got the same problem they had when Albon showed up and in the first instance and that is they've got too many young drivers yeah so. totally like it, it'll take something wild like Verstappen suddenly retiring or moving teams for them <laughs> to shuffle the drivers around like that. Yeah. Um, speaking of Red Bull Juniors, an interesting news story today. Uh, Jehan Daruvla, who is um, F2 driver, he's a Red Bull Junior. Um, he's yep. probably the the sort of top Indian racing driver at the moment, certainly in single-seaters. He's going to be making his um, Formula One uh, debut uh, driving uh, an old car in a test session but for McLaren huh which is very strange um, that is strange as is yeah, the, as someone sort of like wangled that externally from his Red Bull uh, yeah possibly because like the rules now allow cars over a certain age and I think it's actually much newer cars now since the regulations have changed to be tested more freely um, but yeah it's, it's seems odd that a Red Bull Junior is um, getting a McLaren drive. Uh, I mean, I will say, and I think we said this when we were doing the um, next season driver predictions, um, a lot of people seem to forget he's a Red Bull Junior, Red Bull included these days. So, uh, <laughs> I, you know, if, if any Red Bull young driver is going to get promoted, he's probably low on that list at the moment. But, um, yeah, I thought it was an interesting tidbit all the same. Yeah, this is kind of interesting, but... Um... Yeah, I'd be shocked if I see him driving a McLaren. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's weird. Um, anyway, mm. that um, that just about wraps us up this week. So thank you as always for everyone for listening, everyone for writing in, everybody in the um, Discord that's joined us for the live show. If you want to get involved all the with patrons. that. patrons. Yep, head to patreon.com where you can see how to get involved in all of that fun stuff. Um, we will be back in a week's time to preview the British Grand Prix, which is um, yeah. exciting. Sadly, we're not going it's this year. It's very exciting. I will not be there, no. <laughs> <laughs> but 
but we will be here to talk about it. So yeah, we'll be back yeah. in a week's time for that. But until then, thanks again for listening and goodbye. Bye, everyone.